0: Do as much as you can for free yeah just learn and offer your services and actually that served me well in my career i found doing stuff for free has helped me to gain experience you're more likely to be given work and you know i then had a warm relationship with these guys that so i could then offer them a role when i was as soon as i was able to afford them
1: hey guys welcome back to the back stuff show this week i am super excited to have felix atkin on the show What's great about Felix is that he was a fan of the show and some of the stuff he listened to, he's used to create his own business. What a fucking win. So really excited to have him on. He's got a really cool story. Um, he is the founder and CEO of Sharesy and he's going to, pun intended, he's going to share his story. Um, so Felix, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So let's go straight into it. So you m- wildly started a business in The, um, I would say like the socially not distant space in the middle of lockdown.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. Started Jersey at the height of lockdown and um, it was an interesting time to start a business which really is in the events industry, but it gave us an amazing opportunity to grow our business and to really start sprinting when everybody else was slowing down.
1: I think that's great because I guess like you're in that. Well, first of all, let's tell people, what does
0: Sharesy do? So Sharesy is a venue hire marketplace aimed at community spaces. So think Airbnb, but for schools and local spaces in your community.
1: I love that. So if I'm like, if I'm in school and I've got uh, a couple of tennis courts or whatever, I use your product to rent them out. And as a consumer, I go there to book a tennis court.
0: Exactly. So this is it's an existing problem people trying to find spaces in their local area to book and what i was looking to do was to create an elegant solution to being able to reach venues to be able to make bookings and to to do that in a really simple way and to help discovery
1: so how did where where did that come from because you're um i remember when we first met because you you dropped note into the show and we, we hung out and it was cool and i remember You were sort of working around the sort of startup space, doing some advisory work and so forth, but you didn't have like an idea yet. You know, you were like, so where did this come from? Because you're not from that world. You're not from the event space or anything. Tell me a bit about your background. What did you, and how did you get into this?
0: So it was a bit of a nascent idea, Um, right? but my wife is a deputy head teacher in a primary school, so I could see the need of schools to generate revenue and to see how difficult that was for schools to you know to manage their spaces and utilize their spaces but in my career i've worked in tech working for big companies getting into steadily smaller and smaller businesses i had an itch to scratch to try and start my own yeah. business um and i also wanted to use tech for good so i lost my mum in 2018 and she was a eminent cancer researcher. And it was something that I talked about with her, actually, the idea of creating something that gives back a little bit more. And that's really where the idea came from. I started knocking the idea around with a friend and that's where it came from. So I took the leap, put yeah. the business up and it, and it rolled from there.
1: Let's talk through that. So like day one, you've got the idea, you decide you're going to go for it. And this start you went from sort of side hustle to hustle, didn't you? This was like an idea that was perfect, And then you went, you sort of went like, okay, I'm going balls deep in this now. But this is, this
0: is like, I can't just do this as a side hustle, right? So at the time, I was consulting for a few different companies, yeah. just helping with commercial strategy and thinking about go-to-market strategy for early stage businesses. Yeah. And this was an idea that I was developing and put together a pitch deck, which was just an idea at the time. Put a business case together, and um, made the step to incorporate the business. And actually, within a matter of weeks, I had met my angel investors. I had been given an introduction to um, a couple of people who knew who were in edtech. They knew the space incredibly well, and I prepared a deck for them, which they loved, and we got on incredibly well. And within uh, within a couple of months, I had 150k of SEIS funding to then build a concept, to build a clickable demo of the product. And, um, actually things moved incredibly quickly. It was really a feature of where we've come from that we've been very milestone driven and really pushed the pace. Nice. So this happened in June of last year, June, 2020 yeah. I incorporated the business, uh, met my, um, angel investors, um, at the end of June, we had everything wrapped up in the summer. Uh, built a clickable demo and started onboarding venues onto a very early version of the platform um, by the end of the summer. So the intention at that point was to start to build a team, run the company very lean, and raise again in 2021. But we started to get incredible feedback, so we accelerated the um, the fundraise and moved forward to a seed round. So in the second week of November, I set the target of trying to raise half a million pounds and uh, within five weeks had raised it and in January raised a further 250 so I'd raised 750 by January which gave us the fuel to start putting a team around me and really starting to move forward.
1: That's amazing so I mean wow congrats I mean such a quick I mean and that tends to be how it happens like if you've got pace then
0: people feed
1: off that So let's take a step right back to the beginnings, that initial pitch deck idea. So did you use that pitch deck to, well, actually, there's a a company who's been on the show, Switched, who um, they previously, they've just done a a really successful crowd round. And they spoke about the most useful exercise they could have done at the beginning was to write a pitch deck because it puts you in the mindset. You're basically creating a business plan. So were you using it in that method or were you using this thinking, right, I need to go and get money or were you using it to flesh out your idea
0: well i've come from the business development space and i'm used to building pitch decks and telling that story so for me it was quite a useful way to understand my narrative yeah understand what the business model looked like and also to try and put myself in the mindset of an investor who was looking at it to say what would an outcome look like yeah sure so it actually helped me to put the story arc together and start to visualize it and i had help from a friend um Emma Gallet, who is uh, uh, fantastic at helping to visualize these stories. And um, with that, actually created something which was really compelling. So it was a known problem. We were creating a, an elegant solution to that problem. It was clearly very scalable. And it was just a matter of putting the pieces together.
1: What specifically was in, I, was, I love getting into detail of these things, because you've been so successful. Let's take that and help other people do it. So what was in that pitch deck? Was it, because you talk wonderfully about it being a story, which I think is, it's great. And people forget that a pitch deck isn't about just giving people numbers. You're there to stimulate a conversation. And so you need to create that, that arc, that emotional journey. So what were you, what did you do? So were you starting with the problem? Were you starting with, like, how did you do it? What did you put in there?
0: So you know, you're commonly here with a pitch deck that you need to be able to size your market, you need to be able to show where the opportunity is. Um, so actually, what I did was I broke the deck down into the, com- the component parts that I needed to tell. So there was an element of what is the market size? What is the problem? And actually, what's the experience that you have today? And what's the experience that we're aspiring to create Like what's the end state that we wanted to create? And why is that a scalable solution to this particular problem? So in doing so, I was able to literally through, you know, building a slide deck, um, visualize what I imagine the end state would look like for a consumer. And it became a very compelling story. Now, when I look back at that deck, it looks unbelievably dated just because now we have a brand that's, you know, we have a a, a complete brand around our product now. And looking back then, everything was just pieced together. And, you know, it looked very DIY, but it still told the story. And there are many, many elements of that, which are still really relevant to where we are today. Yeah. So in that, I had a vision for what the business model could look like and what our growth could look like over three to five years. And also, it had to be optimistic to be able to tell a story to an investor. Actually, one of my early stage investors, Rich Harley, said to me afterwards, that was wildly optimistic. I love it. Because if you don't tell that story about how it can scale, then it's not exciting.
1: I love that. Yeah, it's so true. And like also as an uh, an agent investor myself, like if someone comes to me and says, I'm going to give you 5, 10x on your return in like five years. I'm like, "Eh." you know, sell the dream to me. Like I know that I'm probably going to lose this money. So if I do win, like I want to win big. Yeah. So you've got to tell that story. I like that. So you've got that together. Um, you've raised, you raised like, what, 150 in a matter of minutes, it seems like. But did you know these people already? These weren't cold intros. You already have relationships with these angels,
0: right? No, they were cold intros. Oh, they were? And, okay. and actually, that is really my background. So, you know, business development is about very quickly being able to build a rapport with mm. people to be able to understand how they think and how they operate. Yeah. And where there's mutual value. Sure. And actually, you know, in terms of personality, we all click really quickly and it was a really exciting moment. We knew straight away. So I hadn't gone round to lots of different investors selling the idea at this point. I went straight to these two. Um, and and how did you find them? So the, I, uh, I, I had an introduction through a, through a friend. Oh, okay. And um, so, um, but at that point, we'd never met. Yeah, yeah. I took them through the concept on a phone call before I even produced a deck. Nice. I then created a deck for them, and the process went from there very quickly. So. What I then did was started to think about how I support myself. So I was a sole founder. And when I had the idea initially, I was thinking, I need to have another founder with me. It's the common story. You think actually you need to have someone else who's, who's balancing your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So I was thinking about trying to find a, a technical co-founder who might come in with me. And, what I, and actually, I ended up interviewing quite a few people to think about whether, whether the idea resonated with them, whether they would add something that was very different to what I could add. Yeah. And I simply didn't find someone who was able to commit in the, in the way that I was able to commit and also uh, brought the experience that I didn't have. So in those early days, I actually gave sweat equity away to people within my network who came in and offered support. So I oh. had a friend of mine who offered financial support and you know investor relations support. Had another friend who was supporting on product development. And uh, I also had an idea as to some early hires who were still in other jobs. So they also started to support me as a side hustle to their job. Mm. And actually, something that we'll talk about later about how I advise other businesses and aspiring founders, Mm. I say, do as much as you can for free. Yeah. Just learn and offer your services. And actually, that served me well in my career. I found. Doing stuff for free has helped me to gain experience. You're more likely to be given work. And, you know, I then had a warm relationship with these guys. That I could then offer them a role when I was, as soon as I was able to afford them.
1: I love that. So, help, um, help me out. Talk me through um, the concept of sweat equity.
0: So, at the time, I didn't have enough funding to be able to pay full salaries. I just raised 150K and I wanted that to last me. Twelve to fifteen months, so and that's running really lean. So yeah. of course I didn't take a salary for the whole of last year, which was tough as a founder. Oof. But that's, but that's something that you happens, you know right? you have to. There's always a little bit of pain as a mm-hmm. founder. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I was retaining enough of that funding to go into early stage product development, and importantly into things like finance and legal. So one of the things that I personally believed in is putting a foundation in place. And I worked with a city law firm from the beginning, which is something that people don't often advise, but it worked very well for me. I could see that in the product that we were building, there were going to be a lot of complexities and we could have gone down the route of a, a more light, lightweight uh, legal option. But in the end, we made the decision to go down the route of having full support. It cost more upfront. I paid to get uh, you know trademarks put in place to operate as sharesy you know, buying the domains and so on, um, which was an experience in itself, just calling someone up in America and asking to buy their domain off them. Yeah. Um, and all of these things just came together. So, you know, an element of it in the early days is just being a bit ballsy. Yeah. And, but you also have to be very conscious of your budget. So the 150K was, um, I, I really wanted to hold back on committing to hires until I knew exactly who I needed around me. And I didn't make the first hire until the autumn of that year.
1: Nice. Okay, I like that.
0: In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favorite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalog of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review, it would mean so much.
1: So, and do the the sweat equity piece, so what, so instead of giving them money, you're giving them part of your business?
0: Yes, exactly. So really thinking about the contribution that an individual can make, I would look at actually whether, so my thinking around equity is, this is someone who's going to be strategically involved in the business over a long period of time. Um, as a, as a as thinking about equity generally in the very early stages of a business when you're thinking about how you're going to get from 0 to 10 actually equity is an incredibly valuable way to be able to bring in resources that you may otherwise not be able to afford so i was finding people who were at my stage in my career they've had experience in a few different areas and they were able to guide me in a way that would have cost me significantly more if i was paying for consultants or if i was trying to hire someone in to do that for me mm. So um, I, when, I, when I was thinking about the angel round, I straight away put aside you know, a, a portion of equity for um, early stage employees. And I use that equity for my advisors in the early stage. And actually, p- people th- there's varying advice about this. And I've heard it on your own mm. podcast about not committing to too many advisors. You want to have people around you who are really committed to the business. And I really thought very carefully about the people that I put around me as people who I did believe were in it for the long run.
1: Oh, yeah, and I think it's absolutely true. The, um, the truth is the best teams build the best companies. And if you aren't selecting those people appropriately, then it's not going to work out. Yeah, so you did the right thing. So, okay, so you're, who was your first hire? And what was the first person you brought into the business? And how did you decide who that was?
0: So my first hire into the business was someone I had hired from a previous role, um, yes. who who was supporting me in a business development role, and he came in and was I, we knew how each other worked, and he was able to come in and support on building up our venue side. So actually talking to venues, putting venues onto the platform when it was still just an early stage concept, which was incredibly valuable for me. I was still really involved in all the conversations with. Uh, potential venues and in those types of sales conversations, um, but I needed someone who was just around me helping me to do market research, thinking about how to engage with those venues yeah and the next hire was a full time hire was actually a product person who came in to support and start to put the building blocks together of our early stage platform, so we took a no code approach we were just pulling together components to Create an experience in a very cost-effective way, and that proved to be a, a, a great way to go because we were able to very quickly understand how people were using our platform. We started to get feedback on both sides of the marketplace um, very early, and in fact, that happened. It, there was a moment in between the lockdowns where we had listing pages up. We were able to start taking bookings, so we could see that the whole business model worked, and that yeah. was a, that was a real eye-opening moment for us.
1: That's sensational. So. Uh, a few things to dig into there. Now, what what, what made you think the, the right first hire was a business development guy? Was it because, yeah, talk me through it. What made you think that was the approach? Because you're a sales guy, right?
0: I'm a, So it, that's probably a bit misleading because actually I had advisors around me who were really hands-on and doing. right. So my COO now, Dan, who has joined me full-time at that very early stage was helping me put together that early stage product right and so we had those component parts coming together at the point i needed to make full-time hires what i realized was i couldn't afford to hire very senior people i needed to hire people who are slightly more junior but i really trusted yeah and i knew that could tell the story of shares that i really trusted them to represent the business so early stage hires no matter how you know what stage of career are so important because you have to put so much, so much faith in them. And what I've learned is that, you know, you build up relationships with those people as you're growing and then you see, you know, how the business is developing. What I've also learned is that the, the type of employees that you need is constantly changing and, um, you know, where you need to um, bring an expertise to develop the business further.
1: I like that. And so, okay, so you, is that you built... You didn't you didn't hire any devs. So you've done the whole thing no code.
0: In the early yeah. stage, yep. We did the entire thing no code. Amazing. And um, you know, so we've we've taken that a really long way. Yeah. And so when we had put the first platform together and we'd started to see that we were able to start taking bookings and we were getting great feedback, that was the moment where I realized we could accelerate our next funding round. Yeah. So I made the decision to set I always set slightly unrealistic milestones and then I strive to hit them. Mm. Um in the second week of November I had decided that by the 16th of December I was going to raise half a million pounds. I went out alone doing that fundraise. Um this time put a pitch deck together which was you know really clear um with a a, a much clearer vision as to the product that we had today. We now had a brand around it. Nice. And I had actually it was very stressful going out and trying to raise a large amount of money in a short amount of time after 4 weeks i mm-hmm. had 0 in the bank but in that final 5th week raised half a million pounds from fantastic experienced investors and our well, lead a- angels angels yeah uh, well some of those had, had invested at, at later stages as well in other businesses our lead investor was philip beer who is the founder of tiger on the high street Alice. And Philip then joined our board. So now we nice. have a really established board, yeah. which became another way to put some armor around me and to give me that advice that I, I needed that. as I was growing.
1: So how are you getting access to these people? Were you cold emailing? Were you getting intros? How did you get access to them?
0: A pretty exhausting process <laughs> of doing market research myself, of reaching out through my network, of understanding who in this sector have been investing in which other types of businesses. So really just trying to do that that sort of market research yeah then there was an element of reaching into my own network as well and then there was cold calling yeah um and you know reaching out to people being brazen and telling the story and you know that that's kind of my background in business development and partnerships is that you know i'm quite happy to walk up to strangers and just tell them a story yeah that that served me very well um i also did meet an introducer Someone who actually was able to connect me to um, nice. other angel investors, uh, Shui Gordon, who you know has an amazing network of investors. Still, you need to be able to tell a story that resonates with them. Yeah. So I still had, uh, you know, each individual that came on board was a negotiation. You had to tell them, tell them the story. You had to get them to buy into the concept. You had to get them to buy into the valuation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, so it was an exhausting process but really rewarding.
1: So what was your hook? So when, uh, you know, yeah, what was your, how did you, because I always say that when you're, when you're contacting anyone for the first time, like you have six seconds to get them hooked in. What was your hook? What was it that you used to get people interested, first of all?
0: So the story about Sharesy is that it's a tech for good platform. We're trying to do good. There's a real zeitgeist around community that's come out of COVID actually. Yeah. So where people are starting to get to know their neighbors, people want to give back to their community, people want to really invest in their local community. And that certainly really resonated with investors, the idea that we had had a way that we could bring people together. But ultimately, it was in the team and the scalability of the product. So first of all, the feedback was, they bought into the experience that I had and the team had that I was putting together. And also, they really liked the vision of the product and the elegant solution that we had created, the idea that if you're trying to book a church hall or you're trying to book a school hall, the experience today is that you have to try and call up the person that's responsible for that. It might be the receptionist in a mm. school who's got a thousand other tasks to do, and they're incredibly busy. and you have to try and find a way to reach that person, understand the availability of their school hall, they then have to email you terms and conditions, you have to then make a payment into a bank account or by cash. And is there an opportunity that you could just try and make that experience a two-second online booking? Yeah. So that concept of the scalability really resonated. The um, Then I think it was just down to personality yeah. and seeing that we were working at pace. The fact that we were setting milestones and we could show the milestones that we had set for ourselves and that we were eating them we were actually things were happening faster for us
1: that's amazing and that's such a great story to tell And i think you know pace is we had uh, phil o'reilly on the show from Joe spree and he just said, "Yeah, just go as fast as you can and get you noticed yeah and it's absolutely
0: true but actually you know my story as has been the story with a lot of the founders that have come to see you on this show is about resilience mm. you know the the analogy i use is it's like rope-a-dope so to use a boxing analogy mm. you're constantly taking hits from every direction being in a startup you're constantly facing challenges every day and you have to be able to roll with those you have to be able to absorb those and you have to be able to keep your spirits up and to be able to keep moving forwards and it has been really difficult there have been you know difficult moments along the way not least in march of this year my son got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease so out of nowhere while you know all of my focus was on trying to keep this business going i had to just drop everything because my son became ill and it you know it threw my family's life upside down yeah. and we then had six weeks in great ormond street where actually we had the most incredible care but during that period i had to take my hands off the wheel and mm. as a startup founder it's an incredibly difficult thing to do what was so extraordinary was that the team that I had put together just carried on going. It was an incredibly proud moment for me because I had brought together a group of like-minded people who were incredibly talented and capable, and they just kept things growing. So for the next few weeks, I literally had no involvement. I had to just take my hands off the wheel. And as things settled down with my son, I was then working out of a hospital room in Great Ormond Street trying to keep the business going and to keep everybody engaged. You know, working through COVID has been difficult with lockdown and people working remotely. So actually, it was really, really challenging. But coming out of that, I can look back and I can say, well, actually, we achieved an amazing thing. You know, my family has come through that. And, you know, very fortunately, we had some scary moments where we were moments away from intensive care. And actually, that makes you think nothing else matters, you know. So I had to just completely prioritize my family in that time. Mm. And now I think I look back, and I do wonder if I had a co-founder with me, would have, would that have been different? Actually, I really believe the team I put together, um, you know, they've they've really done me proud.
1: Yeah, that's great. sure. I mean, I'm glad to hear your son's okay. It's um, you, you never know what the was going to throw at you. You're building a um. A team that's going to support you when you're not there is essential. There's that wonderful adage of um, the measurement of a great leader isn't how people perform when you're there; it's how they perform when you're not. You know, and I think that's that's great. So, congrats on on making that work. What you because you're in a really interesting space, and from, marketplace businesses are fascinating. But they're because they can be very self sufficient, but they can also be super hard to begin. So, how did you? What did you? Wh- your, what was your strategy? Did you go out and get the, the supply first with the venues and then hope that they are going to publicize and bring the customers? Or did you go... I mean, yeah, talk me through it. How did you approach
0: it? Well, actually, our hand was forced because of COVID. Right. So during that early stage when we were in lockdown, we couldn't talk to bookers, as we call them. We yeah. could only talk to our host venues. And we took that opportunity. So we worked really fast in our launch area in North London to just onboard venues in, in, uh, in the local area across a variety of different types of spaces, right? And that, w- that worked very well. But of course, in those early stages, we're selling them on a, on a concept of this is what we're going to do for you. And we still have to show them that it worked. So that, that early stage was more challenging. Now, of course, we can show them the experience online and we can show them that customers have a great experience when they're booking. So in those early days it was very much about just putting venues on the platform but the our, our route to market is actually through the communities around those venues so enabling those venues to then talk to the people that are going to book them what we're doing is we're providing the tools to the venues to speak to their community so we're giving them the means to market their spaces we're helping them to work out their pricing and their you know their marketing strategy and then we are then reaching the people organically that already know that venue. We are also, of course, thinking then, how do we as Sharesy reach bookers? And that's, you know, our, our own B2C mm. marketing strategy. And as you say, it's a, it's a balance of, of trying to work out how you reach both sides of that marketplace.
1: Yeah, it is hard. It is hard. Um, but it seems like you're doing a, a good job. So over the course of this time, you've had a really great run. It's going incredibly well. What were a couple of fuck ups that you made during the journey that you were like, I hope no one else does this.
0: <laughs> yeah. So actually, I would say honestly, we make mistakes every day, Good. all day, every day. Good. <laughs> and actually, I really encourage the team not to be fearful of that. Actually, you know that the old adage of you know, fail fast and learn fast. It's gratitude. I don't think I could call out one single mistake that were, you know that really stood out. Um, for me personally, I would say possibly that. In the early stages of a business, being very emotionally invested in it and you know, allowing myself to be drawn into that a lot is exhausting. Mm. So having to put some resilience around you and you know to put that armor around you, um, particularly as a sole founder, was was challenging and exhausting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I get that. And it is hard because people it's your baby, right? And you built it. Like and it's that hard thing. I mean, I I I I call myself a co-founder, but I was really a self-founder to begin with. You know, you come up with the idea, you do it, and you watch it, and then you build it around you, you, build a team, and it is super difficult to try and remove yourself emotionally from it. At the end of the day, it's just a business, right? It doesn't matter if it goes wrong. So what? Like you've taken so much from it every day that you're alive during that process, you've learned so much, and you're better for it. Um, but it's hard to remove that because you just think to yourself, "Well, what if I do fuck this up? What if everyone does lose their jobs? So you're like, "They'll get another job.
0: It's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, chill out. Yeah. Well, it's it's very difficult to live with that. Pressure, yeah, as a as a founder and the responsibility that comes with that. But actually, you know, bad things do happen all day, every day. And actually, what I've learned is that, you know, having having bad things happen, um, is normal. So good fortune is not that bad things don't happen to you into the business because you're going to face challenges all the time. But really, good fortune is being able to face that adverse. It's having the Support network around you, it's knowing how to respond to those things. You know, so what happened in this first year with all the troubles that I had in 2020 was just um overshadowed by what happened to my son in mm. earlier this year. What I realized is that we're the fortunate ones. We're the fortunate ones that have the support network. We were able to go to Great Ormond Street. Yeah. I had an incredible team around me that kept things moving. And, you know, that has been an incredible learning.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And so what's your, what's the single piece of advice that you would give to every founder?
0: So for aspiring founders, I would say <coughs> do stuff for free. And I really do believe that because I've done, done stuff for free my whole career. Mm. Um, for existing founders, I would say forward momentum. For me, it's about really investing time in setting objectives. We set quarterly OKRs. We set really challenging targets. We make sure that everybody is bought into those. They need to be really transparent. It takes a lot of time and effort to set objectives and to get them right and to make sure that you're really bought in. The board is very bought in and supportive. But if you have that, then everybody knows their place and it can be really stretching. You know, people can really aspire to do more, but also everybody understands their contribution.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot. I think, particularly as well, I think the advice to work for free as an aspiring founder is such a genius one because the only way you really learn about what it's like to be in a startup is by working in one
0: yeah so so i i worked for the for the observer and the guardian newspapers writing free uh writing reviews for for, uh, video games and i did that completely for free i did it for about 10 years and i loved it because i got i mean i got i say it was free they sent me free games which was about as good as it gets yeah christmas every day yeah but then later on in my career i wanted to work at playstation I got invited to the Champions League final as a guest of PlayStation from The Observer. I turned up early and found the most senior person I could find who turned out to be Jim Ryan, the president of uh, Sony Europe. And I came out with an interview and I kind of think, you know, there is a bit of serendipity in there, but it's also, I built an understanding of the market. I did it completely free and it opened up an opportunity later.
1: I love that story. It's a great story thanks so much for coming on the show like you're smashing it it's great to hear
0: thank you so much